Hey everybody, it's Lon Zybin. It's time once again for your weekly wrap up. And this week we're going to be discussing my 2022 tech predictions, but we're also going to include some predictions from all of you. Let's get to it. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about how most of my predictions for this year, 2021, were incorrect. So we'll see how well I do this go around. I think I'm gonna do a little bit better, but we'll see one year from now. Now, my first prediction is that cable TV streaming is going to die a slow death. And by cable TV streaming, I'm referring to YouTube TV, Sling TV, and some of these other services that allow you to replicate the dead model of cable TV distribution on the internet. I know a lot of you like these services, but I just don't see it being a sustainable business because all of these networks are relying on these retransmission fees to keep themselves going. And just in this past week, we had that big spat between Disney and YouTube TV, where for a short period of time, all of the Disney programming, including ESPN and ABC, were yanked off of YouTube TV. They then lowered their price from $65 back down to 50. And as you know, that YouTube TV price has been fluctuating considerably because they keep getting into these fights with broadcasters. And I just don't see this working out for consumers in the long run because they're gonna get sick of having to keep switching services to maintain the programming that they like. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be easier for consumers to go to the networks that they want to watch and subscribe directly. We're starting to see that now as a trend in the industry. Discovery Plus, AMC Plus, ESPN Plus. Apparently the plus means you can subscribe to it. And I think that's where the cable industry is going to go. It's gonna to be tough though on the cable industry because they get far less from individual subscribers than they do through the cable TV model. But I just can't see this being a sustainable model moving forward because consumers are sick of the high subscription rates and have wanted an a la carte solution for a very long time. And I think 2022 is the year when things finally hit the tipping point and we go to this direct market versus the platform. And in a related topic, I think you're going to need more than one TV box in 2022. I'm already there, not just because I reviewed these things for a living, but also because my fancy LG OLED TV that I bought at the end of 2016 can't run all of the new streaming apps. So for example, I can't get HBO Max on it. Apple TV Plus is super slow, and I'm sure over the next year, things are gonna get worse for that old television upstairs. But beyond that, we have all of these crazy contract disputes. So of course we had the big fight between Roku and YouTube, and that was going to result with YouTube getting kicked off the Roku platform completely. And just a day before the deadline, they managed to come up with an agreement, but this does not bode well for future fights that we're going to see between platform providers and box makers. And it's made more increasingly complex because the box makers are content providers as well. And this is just an environment that's rife with conflict. We've got Prime Video and the Fire TV along with their free offering. We've got YouTube and Android TV. We've got Apple TV and the Apple TV Plus service. And then of course, we have Roku that's getting into the content business also. And there's just no way these companies are going to live comfortably together because they all want control of your attention. So I suspect that as the year progresses here, we're going to see more and more of these kinds of fights erupt, and you'll probably need two boxes to watch everything that you want to see. 
The good news is at least that most of these boxes are about $20 or $30 now, but it's still a bad thing for consumers. Now, this next item is not what we're going to see in 2022, but what we're not going to see, and that is a lot of startup innovation due to component shortages. I am going to CES in about two weeks, so I'm really eager to see what the landscape looks like at the show. I think we'll see a lot of scrappy companies showing up in the hopes that they'll get a little bit more attention at a smaller show. But the problem for those companies is that there are not enough parts to make their products at scale. And if you are a small company without deep pockets, you can't secure those parts, but your larger competitors out there can. And of course, we're seeing some examples of this already. Uh, the analog pocket, which we reviewed the last week, is a great example because this is a device that appeals to a very small audience. It's a niche kind of product, a great one, but a very niche product. And they had a very hard time securing parts over the last year. I think it was delayed about a year due to component shortages. And now they have pre-orders going into 2023 already because they just can't make enough to meet the demand that they have for this product. A larger company is dealing with similar issues. Valve, the makers of the upcoming Steam Deck, had to delay their product by two months because they couldn't get enough parts. And I can guarantee you when they do get enough to be manufactured, it's not going to be anywhere near the volume that they need to satisfy all the pre-orders that they have. And if we were in a more normal environment, I think they probably could get up to speed a lot quicker. And so these are some examples of some current situations. And I think there's a lot of stories out there that we'll never know because a lot of good people with good ideas are not even going to try because they just can't get the parts. Now, on a more positive note, I think fans of Intel and AMD will be happy to know that both companies are going to get competitive versus ARM in the PC space. Now, last year, one of my incorrect predictions was that Windows ARM was going to be a bigger thing than it turned out to be. Windows ARM is still just as bad now as it was two years ago, and Intel and AMD are going to jump on this opportunity to keep their chips relevant and the primary platform for Windows PCs and not go the way that Apple did with an ARM-based processor. We're starting to see that already with the 12th generation Intel Core chips that we'll start seeing, hopefully after the new year on some of our review laptops. And what they're doing here is something very similar to what we've seen on mobile phones and on some of the Macs where you've got the super high performance cores and then more efficient cores that can extend battery life yet still deliver decent performance. And if these can come close to the battery levels that we see on some of these ARM-based devices, I think this will keep Intel and AMD in the game for a lot longer, especially if AMD develops similar technology. And I have no doubt that they will head in that direction because that appears to be where the industry is headed. So Macs are going to go all in on their custom ARM design. And on the Windows side, we're going to see these chips that segment their workloads into performance and efficiency cores. Now, it's curious, though, to see what this asterisk meant here on the Intel marketing for their 12th generation core processors, because it's all over the place anytime they make a performance claim. And what they're saying here is that it is superior compared to their prior generation, but it doesn't look like they're calling themselves superior versus their competitors. And I think it's going to get harder and harder to really flesh out which processors are more powerful 
in the years ahead because we're going to see, I think, processors geared towards certain activities. Apple, of course, optimized their chips for the things that people do most with Macs. And I think we're going to see Intel kind of do this to a degree also as the year progresses. But I don't think I'm going to make a wrong prediction this year by saying ARM is not going to be a thing for Windows PCs in 2022, at least not a significant thing. But Apple, of course, is going to double down on their ARM architecture. And I think this, of course, will be the year that we see M2-based Macs. Now, remember, every Mac that had an ARM processor this year was based on the M1 architecture. Even the new high-performance machines have the same CPU cores, just more of them, along with added GPU cores. But we haven't seen a revision yet of the underlying processing technology in about a year. I think we're going to see that very soon. And Apple really doubled down this year on their ARM processors. We went from having, I think, only three Macs running with M1 to now most Macs running with it. And the two that are the holdouts right now are the higher performance desktops. They're Mac Pro and the 27-inch iMacs. And that would include the iMac Pro, which has been discontinued for a while. So I think we're going to see something big uh, from Apple because it's been over a year since M1 was introduced. And most of their computers are still running on that original architecture. Mac Rumors is predicting that the first M2 Mac is actually going to be a consumer-based device not a pro device. They're predicting a MacBook Air refresh, which I would probably agree with. And it looks like this will be a big change, not only for its processor, but also for its industrial design with some of those pastel-y colors. And they've got some cool renders on the page that you might want to check out. All right, let's move on now to your predictions for the coming year. And a lot of you offered some thoughts on gaming. The first one here is from the Marvelous Breadfish, who predicts that we're going to see Game Pass-like services coming from Sony, Nintendo, Epic Games, and others. And I totally agree with this prediction. They're going to have to to stay competitive. Microsoft has been spending a lot of money acquiring all these different studios. But look at the long-term value proposition. This is a lot like Netflix, where every year there's more and more original content that permanently lives on the service and doesn't go away. So when you load up that Game Pass library, you've got a lot of good stuff to choose from. And we're seeing that now with Game Pass, I think, what, about two and a half years later, uh, the value proposition is much higher, but the cost is still the same. I think it's maybe 120 bucks a year, and you've got more games than you could probably consume in that length of time. And Sony and others need to really match that to be competitive in the marketplace, because not only is Microsoft locking people into their platform, to some degree, they're locking in what games people play because they're probably less likely to buy a game if they've got so much choice available as part of their, I don't know, $15 a month subscription. Uh, we are seeing Sony uh, move in this direction. So they've got a subscription plan that they're in the process of targeting for the spring. And we'll see what that looks like once it happens and how much of Sony's revenue is dependent upon game sales versus a subscription model. This might be tough for Sony. We'll have to see how this all comes together. And I know I'm going to get called out on my math just a second ago. So there are two tiers of Game Pass. There's Game Pass Ultimate for 15 bucks a month, which includes the cloud streaming and the PC side of things. And they have the console-only version, which is 10 bucks a month or $120 a year. Now, last year, I incorrectly said that 2021 would be the year that VR reaches mass consumer adoption. It didn't happen, but Metal Jesus Rocks here is speculating that perhaps 2022 might be the year, and I don't disagree with that. 
I was looking at my affiliate links over the uh, course of the weekend, and sure enough, the Oculus Quest 2 is one of the top selling items that people are buying from my links, and that leads me to think that there's something going on. What's odd is that when I do a VR video, I don't see a lot of traffic on that, even over the long term. And generally, things that are very popular among consumers will see a good long-term view count on my videos. And that's one of the metrics that I've been using here. But there are a lot of people buying headsets who watched videos on this channel. So something's afoot. We'll have to see what happens as the months progress here. And a lot of you agreed with Metal Jesus in his comment as well. So we will see. Maybe 2022 might be a good year for VR. We're certainly seeing a lot more titles coming out, and a lot of those are focused on the Quest, which is, of course, the top-selling headset, and it's very affordable for that matter and very versatile, as we saw in the video I did a couple of days ago. Uh, the Canyon Hopper there at the bottom has a good thought, though, that maybe if Apple dips their toes into something AR VR related, that might help accelerate things. And that could be the case as well. So we will keep an eye on things. And I'm eager to see if Apple or some of the other big players out there do more with VR. We haven't seen Sony really announce anything on the PS5 just yet, and they've got a lot of consoles out there. The Series X, of course, is powerful enough to do VR too, so maybe this might be something. Stay tuned, and we'll cover it if it happens. Now, this next one comes in from Old Man PJ, who agrees on the VR sentiments raised by Metal Jesus and others, but he also brings up a really interesting point related to NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, as it relates to media licensing. And he references here the Intellivision Amico, which is an upcoming and controversial game console. And one of the things they're looking at doing with the Amico is selling game licenses as an NFT. And presumably, if you bought the game license as an NFT, you could resell that license to somebody else when you were done playing with the game. And the best example of this I can think of is the Nintendo Switch. If I buy the physical game, I can usually resell it and get a good chunk of my investment back. Those games hold value pretty nicely. But if I bought the digital version of the same game, I'm stuck with it forever. And I technically don't own it because Nintendo could take my account away and wipe out any access to my games if I violate their terms of service or whatever. So this kind of brings a level of ownership to digital media that I think is going to be attractive to consumers. And I think there's another component to NFTs that make it attractive to developers potentially. And I covered this in a video I did a couple of months ago about this very topic. And in a nutshell, what NFTs allow for on the development side is a royalty on resells down the road. So if you think about a retro game or even a modern game, uh, when I sell something to you, I get the money back, but the developer doesn't see an ongoing royalty or revenue stream from that media selling uh, down the road. And retro games, I think, probably are a great example where you've got games changing hands for decades. And we often say you're committing piracy if you don't own a physical copy of that game. But the developer only made their money once on it. And now these games are trading hands all the time and the developers are not seeing any revenue from those resells. And of course, we have the first sale doctrine here in the United States, which guarantees they get money on the first sale, but not any subsequent resells. But I do think that NFTs offering a royalty for the resale of digital assets might make digital assets a resellable item. 
And at the moment, they are not resellable at all. And you're at the whim of the platform who you're getting the license from as to whether or not you can actually play that game rolling forward. So I think the royalty is a little bit of a give, but the get is we have an ownership model for digital media. And that's why I think uh, old man PJ there is onto something. Check out my video though, where I go into a lot more detail and explain this better. Now this next one is a little grim, but I think it's worth noting because oftentimes the media sensationalizes things without providing a proper context of data. Now Camera Shy here says that in 2022, at least one more person will likely die because of a self-driving car. And I predict that Camera Shy's prediction is likely going to be true. We'll probably see more fatalities from vehicles that were under their own control at the time of the crash. Many of those crashes might be from somebody not responsibly using that auto driving system. There could very well be a software bug that results in a fatal accident that needs to get investigated. But you've got to look at these issues in the context of a fuller picture of data. And one of the things that Tesla has been doing over the last couple of years is providing a vehicle safety report specifically related to its autopilot system, which is a driver assistance system that I use in my car when I'm on the highway. And the reason why I use this system when I'm on the highway is that the car can look in 360 degrees all the time where I can only look in one direction. And if I am paying attention, this is a safer way to drive. And there have been at least two instances over the last four or five years I've been using this system where my car actually nudged me over or moved me into a different lane because somebody almost hit me and it avoided an accident. Now that's anecdotal, but I think I am safer with this system on and paying attention versus having no system at all. And if you look at the Tesla data here, uh, this is the most recent report that they put up. Uh, they recorded one crash for every 4.4 million miles driven in which drivers were using autopilot technology. Note that this doesn't state whose fault it was, just that there was one crash for every 4.4 million miles driven. Now by comparison, Tesla recorded a crash of their cars once in every 1.2 million miles driven. And the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says that there is an automobile crash for every 484,000 miles across the board here in the United States. And the data here suggests that if you are paying attention and you're using this feature responsibly, it is safer. And that has been my experience too. And I think these auto driving technologies are going to make driving on the road safer than it is at this moment for everybody. Because here in the US, we lose about 30,000 people a year to automobile accidents. And if we can save people through some new technologies, I think that's something we should be pursuing. And what I would love to have is a prediction where I could say confidently that we're gonna cut that rate in half or more. All right, we've got a few fun ones here. We've got Paul Bakewell predicting that there will be an iPhone 14. I don't know about that. I think there's going to be an iPhone 13S, but we'll see who's right when we get to the fall on that one. Uh, a couple of nice ones here. T.A. Miller predicts that we're going to do a 2022 predictions video. You are absolutely correct on that one. And finally, Miguel predicts that we'll continue making great videos on this YouTube channel and he will continue watching. And I want to thank you, Miguel, for that very nice comment. And I want to thank all of you uh, for watching over the last year. It's been uh, great to continue doing what I do and I'm able to do that because of all of you watching. 
So I want to thank you all for your support over the last year. I wish you all a very happy holiday, no matter which holiday you celebrate, and a very safe and healthy new year. And hopefully 2022 will be better than the last two years we have experienced here. And I will continue making content. There will not be a wrap up next week. I am going to take the holiday week off, but I will try to get a video or two that I've been keeping in reserve up for you over the holiday week so you can watch it on whatever new device you get for a gift. So thank you all very much for your continued support. And let's see if our predictions come true a year from now. Now, this week's wrap-up is brought to you, as always, by all of you. And I want to thank some super chatters who contributed over the past week. Grayson Petty, Bruce Nelson, and Keith Robinson. Those all came in on one of our live streams. And then we have some new supporters to thank. Jared Armbruster and Hubert Bannis both joined via the YouTube membership program. I want to thank everyone who supported the channel this week and everyone who's been supporting the channel on an ongoing basis and all of you who watch on a regular basis too because all of those things equal channel growth. If you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel via our donor box page. We also support that YouTube membership program with the join button right there and Floatplane. And then of course we do Patreon also if that is your thing. We have other channels you can find me on, including my Amazon page where we do live streams and you can find a bulk of my review videos up there ad free. So check that out. We have my very infrequent email list at lon.tv email. And we also have the Facebook group and the Discord, which are growing quite a bit. So if you want to connect with me and other fans of the show, those are two good places to do that. And then, of course, we've got the store at lon.tv store, where I sell the items that I purchased to review here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. And if you want to be notified whenever we do an update on that store, you can go to lon.tv store alert, and I'll push out an email every time I add new stuff. And if you happen to see something that I reviewed here on the channel and it's not on the store, send me an email at lon at lon.tv and I'll let you know if I'm able to part with it. That is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued support. Have a great new year, and I will see you all at CES in January. And if you have something you'd like for me to see at CES to show to all of you, uh, let me know down in the comments section, and I'll do my best to hunt it down and cover it. That's going to do it for now. Until next time, this is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Hot Sauce and Video Games, Brian Parker, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Thomas Anfang, Jim Tannis, and Handheld Obsession. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more.
And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.